Welcome back to the Connected Minds podcast. Today's guest is Adam Boyd. He stands as the visionary founder of Soulful Training. He has a background forged in the crucible of law enforcement. Adam's journey from a former detective and elite SWAT operator to the beacon of holistic health and wellness is nothing short of inspirational. He's also uh, an ultramarathoner, I'll just add. And we were already talking about that. And maybe we can talk about that a little bit more. Adam, thank you so much for joining us today, brother. Thank you for having me. Yeah, your full bio, uh, Adam's full bio will be in the show description, guys. So if you want to read his impressive bio, please do. But I actually would prefer if, Adam, if you want to share some of your story, let's hear it straight from the horse's mouth, bro. Sure. So I started as a police officer in 2011. I was having a, a really solid career. I got promoted to detective. I spent several years on our SWAT team. Um, I was one of our uh, physical fitness team leads. I created the department uh, wellness program. I also created the PT standards for our SWAT team. But like something in me just wasn't, something was missing, if that makes sense. So I started to venture off into this entrepreneurial journey um, and I actually had a friend of mine who like a jumping castle, like bounce house business for like kids' birthday parties. And, uh, that's actually how I got started in the business world before I left law enforcement to kind of get a taste of like what it would be like, what it, what it, what it all it entails. And I, what I realized is, um, I really like being an entrepreneur and I created a skill set in my time in law enforcement that allowed me to like create soulful training, which is uh, health and well health and wellness based company that focuses on four pillars. Um, I saw a lot of trainings that focused on just one thing, you know, whether it be like physical physical health or it was mental health. And uh, what I realized in my own health and wellness journey is that it's really a holistic approach. So our first first pillar is res- physical resilience, which encompasses sleep, nutrition, and physical fitness. And a lot of companies, when they say like holistic wellness, they're referring to just my first pillar. Um, our second pillar is mental resilience. Third pillar is social resilience, which is encompasses like communication skills and leadership. And then the third one is, or the fourth one, excuse me, is is purpose and goal setting. So like, I really try to work with like my clients and organizations to define their purpose. Like, what is the bigger vision in your life? that keeps you driving forward when things get really difficult. So uh, about 11 years into my law enforcement career, um, I decided to retire my badge and focus on my health and wellness business full time um, and try to give back to the veteran and first responder community that I came from. Awesome. So would you consider yourself a type A personality or laid back? I don't really try to categorize myself. <laughs> I think in some aspects I'm type A and some aspects I'm laid back. Um, I don't know. I just try to be me and, and do what I feel like is the right thing to do. I like that, bro. So um, tell us, tell the listeners more about uh, Mama Army, how you got introduced to them, Dad Army, and what, what the work you do there. So after I had left law enforcement, um, I was trying to make some connections in the health and wellness space. And uh, a friend of mine was like, hey, you have to meet this person. And then that person was like, hey, you have to meet this person. Uh, and that person was Seek Smith, and she's the founder of Mom Army. And uh, she was looking for a law enforcement professional to join the board of the organization. And what their mission is, is to protect children and to protect the values that allow children to grow up in a world that allow them to be happy, healthy, and successful. And uh, we, we talked for quite a long time and we agreed that I think my skill set was uh, right for the organization. Um, and they kind of tackle that problem on, on a multiple fronts, whether it be the legal side or the activist side or, you know, giving back to the, to those in need. Uh, I know right now Mom Army is working on what they call a hope box. Um, and we've partnered with a, a family advocacy center that deals with uh, sexual assault victims. 
and we're going to have a box of resources that we're going to be able to give each each victim. Wow. Yeah, I mean, like you guys are doing some pretty powerful, pretty important work that I think a lot of people, they don't even want to hear about what what is really some of the things that are going on in the world, never mind actually, you know, ad- help to address those. So, you know, we really have to commend you what what you guys are doing. Yeah, and we, I mean, that's, you know, we're all in this together. And I think um, far too many times we look at, the government for help, or we look to somebody else for like, what are you going to do about this? When the reality is like, we need to start in our own homes and we see to start giving back on a local personal level. And I think that's really how we make a difference in things. And one of the, that's one of the reasons why the dad army offshoot kind of formed was because mom army was doing all these great things. And um, the organization was founded by, you know, a bunch of women who were over half the organization is a survivor-led organization, but there were a lot of men and dads out there that were like, hey, we want to be involved in this too. So Dad Army was formed kind of just out of, you know, the men in the world seeing the necessity for their contribution. And when you say survivor, what exactly do you mean? So whether they were uh, victims of trafficking, um, sexual assault, child abuse, um, really any any type of situation like that, you know, we kind of refer to those children that come out of those situations as survivors. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. over half the organization has actually experienced the things that we're fighting. Um, so it really comes from this, you know, personal area of like not wanting to see other children having gone what they went through. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um just yesterday or the day before I, I interviewed a lady that was uh, born into uh, basically a satanic cult and she was one of the victims of the MK Ultra mind control experiments, you know. And what really struck me is is when she said there was 2 million Americans and Canadians that were involved, you know, basically victims in that program that were being experimented on it's pretty shocking the scale on which this is actually happening in the world, isn't it? Yeah. I think that's probably the scariest part. Um, I mean, you can see if, if you watch any of the news within the last you know year or so, like in the movie sound of freedom just came out recently and really kind of highlighted the, the horrors of, of child traf- trafficking it's not just a Hollywood movie. Like that is the reality of what millions of children are dealing with in the, throughout the world today. And, uh, I, th- and what we need to do as a society is figure out how to combat that the best we can. And we need to expose it. That's the first step. And the second step is, you know, we really need to start putting these people that are, controlling all these rings like we need to get remove them from society yeah and what do you think is the the root of it all do you think it's poverty or something something different i think it's really based around money unfortunately that industry is very profitable it's a billion dollar industry every year and i mean i hate to say it but that's what it kind of comes down to and these, these people that are perpetuating the violence against women and children, whether it be trafficking or abuse, you know, they're, they're evil individuals and they really only care about themselves and they care about how to line their own pockets. And that's a big problem. Mm. And I'm, I suppose a lot of it, this sort of feeds into other industries like uh, prostitution, porn, probably drugs and it just goes deeper and deeper right yeah i mean if if you really look back at most of uh most behavior like prostitution so like we never like to use in my household we never like to use the word prostitute um because my wife also worked with a lot of survivors and uh in in her her former career uh we refer to them as prostituted women because those those women didn't get there by choice. They were usually they were trafficked or they were 
uh, recruited, you know, at a young age, like you have people that are looking for young kids that have broken homes that they can gain their trust and then they get them hooked on drugs and then it just kind of snowballs from there. So a lot of those women that are in those positions don't want to be in that position, but they were forced to be in that position. And I think that's a lot of what, um, what a lot of people don't realize that prostitution generally isn't a choice. It's a situation that they're forced into by their pimps. Yeah. And I think it's the same with a lot of people that are, you see, like, let's say homeless people or, or junkies on the street. And you think those people, oh, they just couldn't control their urges and this and that. But a lot of those people, they're coming again, like you said, from broken homes, either severe stress or severe trauma was the largely the precipitating factor and a lot of those people they just start out maybe self-medicating and then it just turns into a vicious circle that eventually causes them to you know lose lose a lot of social standing and lose their home or job or whatever else yeah and we can really trace back most of our societal problems to childhood trauma and one of the visions of mom and dad army is to break that cycle of trauma and to get those children that have experienced it, the help that they need so they can be productive, happy, healthy members of society instead of going down that road where they become gang members or they become prostituted or they become drug addicts or they become, you know, they have mental health issues. And then we have, we have a whole host of problems because of childhood trauma and we just need to, you know, kind of nip that in the butt and and start getting to these kids early and often. Yeah. And I wish that wasn't even the case. I mean, the reality is like as a parent myself, I want to make sure that my daughter never goes through um any any type of trauma that's within my control. So yeah. we should be doing our job as parents to alleviate a lot of these issues and we can kind of mitigate some of the problems we have in society if we did the right things early on in our child's lives. Oh yeah. I mean, it's so important to, to be ready to have a kid. If you're just out of the blue, have the kid and you're not ready for it, or you, maybe you're a bit young on the younger side and you, you're still struggling to en make ends meet, it can get really tough for the kid and through no fault of its own. And a lot of the, a lot of these things are minor things. So in, let's say if, if you have a, a good home and there's, let's say one day you, you kind of lose the head and you sh scream at your child or something, that's not necessarily going to impact them for the rest of their life. Most, like kids are able to bounce back from trauma pretty well from like cuts, scrapes, falls, bumps but it's when it's sort of systematic or very extreme that's where we can have you know the literal splintering of the personality and, and other other deleterious effects yeah i'm glad you brought up that point i was not trying to attack you know parents and like we don't have to be perfect as parents um we just have yeah. to give our child like the love and support that they need we're all going to make mistakes i'm going to make mistakes uh, you're going to make mistakes. It, it is what it is. Like we're human beings, yeah. but you're right. When it becomes like a systematic problem, the child that's, you know, the three-year-old that's left in the living room because mom and dad are passed out with a needle in their arm. Like Jesus, yeah. that type of behavior is what's going to cause that child to grow up and have the issues that we're talking about. Um, not yelling at them because you lost your cool, um, but like serious, systematic, long-term prolonged behavior. Uh, one of the most interesting things that I learned, I, I got to go to this fantastic class when I was a detective and it talked about child brain development and people don't realize how important your behavior is when that child can't speak or does not appear to be able to communicate with you, you know, and it makes sense from a, a logical standpoint that they're, when they're born, their brain is completely empty. And so everything that happens in that environment starts to get implanted in that brain because their brain's like a sponge. So you may not think that it's a big deal that you argue while your new newborn is sleeping in a room, but if that newborn can hear you, that's starting to form those neural pathways into the brain and it starts to affect your child from a very, very young age. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, it's true. It's true. All, all of these things have an impact, and the environment is so important. That's why I'm trying to. We don't have a TV. We have a <clears throat> in the living room. We have a projector that's never really open, and we don't have a TV. We don't have like some stuff blasting in the background to you know just to enamor you or to 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 suck your attention in. So just the environment. We've been trying to cultivate an environment uh, that. The, the, what we what we value, and also books, and <clears throat> you know the she today we're going with my daughter to to have a an orange juice at a nearby restaurant, and so she she knows it's, it's uh, the habit we've created. She knows that she needs to pick some books that she's gonna read, and she she picked up a few books, made me put the, put them in my bag, and then she's like, and Papa. As if, as you know, did you get your book? Of course. I'm like, of course, I got my book. We're going to go read our books together. And it's, yeah, it's a beautiful thing. But, but let me ask you, like, this is actually, I've always wondered. And I mean, it's it's kind of, it's probably, my suspicions are probably true. But is it, do you, I'm not sure how much you, you can share, but for yourself or for your colleagues when they were, you know, detectives and stuff, is, are you, did you notice them your colleagues and your people dealing with this sort of side of things getting traumatized or finding non i suppose non-healthy ways to express that were, were you seeing much of that oh absolutely i mean there's a big reason why police officers in our country have um, a shorter lifespan higher divorce rates higher alcoholism rates higher suicide rates than the majority of professions out there. You can't see that stuff day in and day out without having, without it affecting you in some way, shape or form. It's just the reality of being a human being. I mean, you're immersed in a negative environment day in and day out. It's absolutely going to have an effect on your physical and mental health, which is one of the biggest reasons why like I started the program that I did because I want to be able to help officers in this country combat all the negative things that they see um, by by choosing by choosing to get healthier um, early and often in their career. It's basically it would be like it would be like adding body armor to yourself. Now, is the chances yeah. is it going to give you a hundred percent chance of not dying in a combat situation? No. But is it going to give you a better shot at it? Absolutely, right? So sure. I want to make sure that our that our men and women in blue are taking care of themselves from the day that they get hired. Um, so that way, when that inevitable bad thing happens, they're going to have a little bit more armor to deal with the, those negative situations when they're constantly battered with them. Yeah, I like that, Ben. I think, and you know, a lot of... You know, a lot of listeners they might say, you know, the 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 police are perpetrating; they're just enforcing the the government's, you know, they're the, doing the grunt work of the government, which is oppressing the people. And uh, that can be true, but at the at the end of the day, these people still they 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 at least initially went in with the right intentions, like the same intentions, like a, a doctor, a kid wants to become a doctor. You know, that's why you want to be a police officer. You want to to do good for your country, for your for for your community, and you know these people seeing what they're seeing, especially with less resources over the years, it's it's bound to ruin you. I was actually reading that. So after doctors, I think the po- police police officers were like th- ranked th- th- uh, third highest suicide rate of all the professionals, and doctors were number one. So that was pretty pretty staggering well what, what what was it like whatever you can share what was it like being in the SWAT team that say that's a fairly high octane environment I mean I received a lot of good training in that team um, there's a lot of great camaraderie but yeah I mean at the end of the day it's it's you're really the last line of defense so like if the if patrol is calling SWAT in like nobody else is coming to save you you know, like you're supposed to be that elite unit that does the most only deals with only the most serious situations. 
Um, so a lot of the situations you go through are very exciting. A lot of them are very dangerous. Uh, a lot of them are very eye-opening of how cruel the world can actually can actually be. And you know, one one of the reasons that I actually you know left the team was because of my baby girl. Like I, it, it just coincided. She was born right before COVID. And then I remember working an op, um, this guy had, um, shot someone, took his brother hostage. And uh, I think we believed at the time that his girlfriend had been taken hostage as well. And we had, we were been on like a four day manhunt for him and it, you know, everybody was exhausted. We were in Arizona in the summertime, it was 115 degrees and we, we had been working super long hours to try to find him and you know, eventually we, we got him down to his location and he came out of the house and he had, uh, he had stated that he had a bomb on him and that he was holding like a, uh, detonator in his hand. Jesus. And his, uh, his girlfriend was, you know, had her arms wrapped around him, kind of walking like right behind him. And it appeared as if it was going to be either suicide by cop or they were just going to, you know, blow everything up. And I just remember like looking down the, looking down the sights of my rifle and just, uh, you know, I, I had the picture of my baby girl in the back of my head. And I said, you know, it's not worth her not having a dad. And now I commend everybody that puts on that uniform and wants to go out there that has children. But I was already kind of in that mental transition. And that was one of the things that kind of propelled me to, uh, to do something a little bit different because I wanted, I grew up without a dad. Um, cause my dad passed early with cancer. And so I know what that feels like. And I want to make sure that if I can control it, my baby girl is always going to have a dad around. Damn, bro. That's, that's very, that's heavy. So, uh, what happened in the end with, with, uh, with that situation? Well, it actually probably had the best ending we could have asked for. It turns out the bomb was fake. The detonator was fake. Um, we ended up taking him into custody without incident, um, without anybody getting hurt, which was always the way that you wanted to end a situation like that where nobody gets hurt. Yeah, of course. Imagine like you got some some guys on on like PCP or something, and he's like, "I have an elaborate what is it called suicide clock." If if uh, if you shoot me, this thing will set off a chain reaction. You you hear this elaborate story? I'm like, no, you're bullshitting. You yeah. don't you don't have a bomb on you, <laughs> you know. And you know when you're when you're sitting 30 yards from him and you have to make that snap decision. You know, do you think he actually has a bomb on him? Do you not think he has a yeah. bomb on him? Are you going to take the chance that it's fake? You know, you start yeah, thinking yeah. about neighbors and your team and everybody. Like, there's so yeah. many factors that go into a split, de split decision to to pull that trigger. And, yeah, you know, like I said, luckily that day, it wasn't a necessary thing. And we were able to end it without incident, which is always the way we want to do things. I, and I, I, hope, I hope. Go ahead. You know, and I can tell you from firsthand experience, uh, I was involved at a, in a shooting in 2015. And uh, I have several law enforcement friends of mine that have been involved in shootings. And um, I can tell you that it's nobody, none of us want to pull that trigger. It is one of the most unnerving, unsettling things that you have to do um, because we, we always hope for a peaceful end of the situation. So it's really difficult to see the media like calling us trigger happy and, you know, like we just want to murder people. And I've never met a law enforcement officer that, wants to murder somebody that wants to harm the public. It's just unfortunate we get put into very difficult situations that frankly, a lot of the public can't understand. And yeah. no, nor should they, they shouldn't be able to understand what it's like to be in that position because there's a reason why we are. And there's a reason why I want you to go to your office every day and not have to worry about these things because the world can be ugly and there are bad people in this world and we are trained to deal with these situations. And it's, it's on the one sense, it's not fun for the law enforcement community to have to deal with the lack of understanding of how things work. 
but at the same time, like, I don't want you to ever understand how, what that feels like to have to make that decision. Yeah. Yeah. I think a, a lot of that stuff in the news or whatever in the media, I think it's just another one of those divide and conquer tactics used by social engineers where they want the, the public to, to be fighting with each other, you know, different parties, genders, ideologies. And then of course, that's just another divide and conquer strategy. You know, that's at least that's my kind of view on it. I agree, especially from analyzing a lot of the high profile officer involved shootings that have really like made national or like worldwide news. They really seem to pick scenarios that are justified, but look really bad in the public eye. And it's, I feel like the the incidents they use are very strategic to create that divide Um, because I've looked at a lot of scenarios that have come out that are high profile that seem very obvious to me that it's justified, but also seems very obvious to me why an untrained person would think it isn't Mm -hmm. except. And there have been one or two scenarios where it has been unjustified and it seemed like the courts took appropriate action in, in prosecuting those officers in situations where like they did make the wrong choice. Yeah. Now then that becomes the argument. Like did the officer have hate in their heart? Were they racist? Were they this? Were they that? You know, I I don't want to get into a huge political debate over that. And that's up for the public to make their own decision. But I personally have never met, and I'm not saying this doesn't exist, but, and because I've only worked in one part of the country. Um, I've never personally met an officer who is out to get a specific race. Um, and I'm sure that is probably untrue in some areas of the world and in areas of the country. I'm just speaking from my own personal perspective. You need to go to Alabama for that, bro. <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't know. No, no offense to any Alabamians listening. I, 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 know, I don't know where it's at, but... Um, no, I think a lot of, again, it's like, it's like look, we know doctors or, or, or let's say the medical system per, perpetrated by many unwitting doctors is the third biggest killer, third biggest cause of death. And all the, I believe <coughs> 99.999% of these doctors went into medical school with the, 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 the most beautiful wide-eyed naive intentions of saving lives and all that stuff it's just the system has created what it has created so i I believe it's the same with with police officers it's it's these people have the right intentions but it's like you go in and you realize the the system you're working for may not exactly have the public or even your best intentions at heart so anyway without turning into into you know, fodder for a, a a more heated debate. Let's talk about how did you get into ultra running? Was that like, wh- wh- how many years ago was your first race actually to start with? Oh, 2006, I believe was my first okay. ultra race. Okay. So yeah. you've been doing it for a while. Yeah. Off and on for a while. I would say um, 2023 has probably been the year that I've dove in the most. But I started to be more consistent in 2018. So for the last five years, I mean, I would do one, maybe two races a year, most likely one. So I really wasn't even really like I, w- I loved the sport, but I wasn't like into it because I saw a lot of my friends that were racing five, six times a year or even more. Um, so this is the first year I've done more than two races in a year. This will be my third race coming up in, uh, in October. Um, so. I'm really starting to gain some more experience. So I wouldn't, I would say that I experienced ultras in the past, but like now I feel like I'm actually an ultra runner because um, I'm doing it a little bit more frequently. My training's a little more adequate and I've dove into the sport a little bit more. What's, uh, what's your average uh, weekly training and, and, and uh, in terms of mileage and what's the average speed you go at? Speed varies quite a bit. I'm looking for like a sub 24 hour, 100 miler uh, in October. So that's around 14 minutes a mile. I don't know the kilometer conversion right off the top of my head uh, as far as pace goes. Uh, But my 
my training runs will be quite a bit faster than that, depending on if I'm doing intervals or if I'm doing a fartlek run or I'm doing a tempo run or whatever the, the training modality is that day. Mm-hmm. Uh, I typically run around 50 to 60 miles a week. And then you throw in strength training and mobility work and yoga and swimming and and then recovery. Uh, so I'll do some hiking for a recovery day. I'll go out for like a three-mile, like just leisurely walk on the trails. Um, definitely helps with like a mental reset and allows the, the <laughs> blood to, allows the blood to keep flowing and help that recovery yeah, yeah, process yeah. without putting stress on the legs. For sure, bro. Have you considered that to to be attracted to something like triathlon or stuff, Ironman, this kind of stuff, outrunning, do you think some type of trauma in the past may have caused this? I'm not ruling out that possibility. I know a lot <laughs> of ultra runners that have some trauma in their past. Um, I yeah. know I mentioned earlier that my dad had passed like real young. It wasn't until real recently. I was reading a book called The Body Keeps Score. And mm-hmm. I had thought that I had worked here. through him passing earlier in my life. And after reading the book, I realized there was a lot of stuff that I had not worked through yet. Yeah, so bro, I, it's, I it's think layers, that could definitely layers. be a good possibility. Um, I also had an uncle of mine that was an ultra runner. And he's been kind of a mentor for me for you know my whole life. And as somebody that I looked up to. And part of it, I think, is just kind of following in his footsteps as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's talk more technical stuff because I'm a bit of a nerd on this stuff. Have you have you measured your have you measured your cortisol and your sex hormones, adrenal hormones, recently to see if if they're anywhere close to the middle or the top of the range, out of the range, so on? No, I really haven't like dove into the the physiology of my own body during training yet. It's definitely something I want to explore because I want to see how I can, you know, always improve performance. But right now it's kind of, I've been going by, by my feel. Like if I, if I feel like I need recovery, I take recovery. If I feel like I can train Mm -hmm. hard, I train hard. Um, I, of course I follow a schedule, um, as a strength and conditioning coach. Like I kind of, I understand like how to structure a training program. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's always helpful to have in my back pocket, but I mean, I also, I mean, a program's a program. Like I use it as a guide. Yeah. Instead of like I use, I say guide, not governor. So if I need a day mm-hmm. off or I feel like it's becoming a little too intense where I'm not recovering good well enough, um, I can back it down or I can take an extra day or um, you know maybe I'll hit the pool instead of the trails one day and have an extra day of uh, easy work and so I can come back stronger. Yeah, I think when 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 you kind of get to our age, you just don't have the luxury of powering through. I have this this neighbor here; he's like thirty one, and he tells me what he does, like one meal a day and an hour and a half of like running and all those all this other stuff. Wakes up, coffee, work all day. Like, bro, you you can do that now, but uh, when when you're my age, I'm not sure if you'll be able to do that, you know, or or that you even want to do that. I found as I got older, I want to push myself mentally a little bit more. So mm-hmm. like my, the first ultra race I did was a 50 K. So it's like the, the opening the door to the ultra world. And now, you know, the it became 50 K then 50 mile and then a hundred mile. So I think the older I get, the more like, I just want to like push my body and mind to see like really what I'm capable of. Whereas like when I was younger, it was like, how fast can I do this? Now it's like, how can I push myself further? <laughs> how much torture can I endure? Dude? <laughs> That's incredible. <clears throat> well, what about in terms of tracking? Do you use a watch or do you aura ring or any of those things? I'm sorry, I didn't catch that. Do, do For tracking like your mileage and do you use, have you heard of the aura ring? Oh yeah, I don't. I just use my watch and my app on the phone. That's right. Uh, it tracks my recovery for me, so it gives me like a decent idea of how hard I pushed. But the reality is, I know, like, I know what my workout was like. 
I know that I know when I need recovery. Like I don't need a watch to tell me that I'm yeah. I'm depleted. Um, I I have a pretty good feel for like how my body is. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. So yeah, I don't I don't have I'm kind of a minimalist runner in that in that sense that like I try not to I don't have like a ton of gear like I like put on my shorts and my shoes and just going with the minimal amount that I need on my body. Nice, bro. I like that. So, what about your wife? What, what, what's sort of her um, her view on on your uh, athletic endeavors? I well, she's she's been my main crew member. So, um, for those that aren't familiar with the ultra world, usually like your crew is like think of like a pit crew in car racing, where like somebody needs to change your tires and fill the gas. So she comes to a lot of my races to help crew. So like if I need a new pair of shoes or I need my water bottle filled or, you know, Hey, grab me. I need to change out shirts because the weather's changing. Um, You know, she's there for all that. So she's been really supportive of this journey. Um, She's super excited to run her first ultra in the spring. So for, for about a decade now, I've been trying to get her into the sport a little bit more. And now she's like, I, th- I think I'm winning her over. I think I'm. I think I'm finally breaking her into signing up. So that's incredible, dude. <laughs> I hope it goes well. I see. I, I had a broken leg about, I guess, 12 years ago. I had a tibia and fibula broken, and a, a piece of my, I think, my tibia flew off. So that splintered off. So I have 10 bolts and two plates. So any anyone, anytime anyone says, you know, I run, you know you know 30 kilometers a week even i'm always like damn I, I couldn't even dream about doing that you know so i'm pretty i'm always pretty impressed but um wait, wait, i forgot what i was gonna ask it damn it so so for a for a 24-hour race let's say so it starts let's say in the morning and then the next morning you, you want to finish so do you actually like take any breaks whatsoever do you take a nap do you take like do you do like a sleep schedule or is it just go uh, try to get it done and then collapse for two days and sleep after that um it it depends so a lot of the races will give you like um, a 30 or a 36 hour cutoff um a lot of racers don't sleep like your rest is basically coming into an aid station and sitting in a chair and like kind of regrouping with getting some food or hot soup in the middle of the night. Now I have seen people that, I mean, you a hundred miles is going to push you pretty far as, as far as like, you know, what your body can take. Um, so some of the uh, less experienced athletes may, uh, may take like an hour or two nap, um, especially if they're running faster than the cutoff. Um, just because they'll allow their body to like kind of regulate a little bit and get a little bit of rest. Um, but I think the vast majority of runners just kind of like push through uh, throughout the, for the entire uh, distance. And do you actually need to pee while running? Cause you, I guess you're evaporating so much water, utilizing so much internal water. Uh, I'm guessing there's not really too much to pee out, right? Yeah. One of the, one of the most important components of, of ultra running is making sure that your electrolytes and your hydration is, is squared away. Um, yeah. because if you're not on top of that, you can actually go into kidney failure or if your electrolytes mm-hmm. are way off, it could put you into cardiac arrest. So making sure that you're hydrated and having the electrolytes, uh, so your body can, can stay alive is, is extremely important, which means that, yeah, you're going to have to pee. So sometimes you just hop off the side of the trail and go when you need to go. Yeah, yeah. bro. I, I th- this is going to prompt me to look if there's any scientific research on in terms of biomarkers or physiological stuff on ultra marathoners. I'd love to, I, I just the, the scientist in me is like, I right now I would love to run some lab tests on you, like a hormone panel. Like, have you heard of the Dutch? dried urine test for comprehensive hormones yeah you've heard of that one if you want if you if you're into it i i can order it uh direct to you if you feel like running it let me know i'd love to i i just just for in the name of i mean i, I can i can sure 
if something is a little bit off balance, we always catch something on, on these tests. I can definitely help you uh, or give you some tips on, you know, some strategies. But just in the name of science, I would love to know what what is going on with your with within your body. It's just I'm fascinated, bro. Well, I know the research is out there because they do a lot of this testing on the professional athletes. But mm -hmm. for my own personal knowledge, I think it would be awesome to figure out where I'm at before and after a race like that, just so I can yeah. see like what effect it has on the body and what effect it has on my hormones and and everything else that goes into to your physiology. Yeah. Well, right off the top of my head, I'm guessing your stress hormones will be through the roof. Yeah. Your probably. <laughs> Yeah, your probably your androgens will be depressed for probably a while. A while after that, it's a big. We we shouldn't mince words. It's a big stress to the body. That's that's not mince words. You know it is, and we know we like we, we as sports people. Like when I did my Thai boxing fight, you know you signed. This was like I I my first fight. I went there. We drove a few hours. I went there, and the first thing they slapped me. I was the first fight of the night, and they slapped me with this form. Like if you if I die, I'm not gonna hold the the establishment here or anybody in the club freaking responsible. I'm like pretty sure I'm gonna be dead. How am I gonna hold you responsible? Or it's it's if you get injured or something that someone breaks your nose. So we kind of know the risks we're taking, and I, I I've I have heard that actually a lot of a lot of marathon runners are finishing races with acute kidney failure, and it's non-lethal. Kidney failure doesn't actually have to be lethal. But you can be in that state, and then as you sort of calm down, start replenishing fuel, electrolytes, etc., it it can get better. But occasionally, people people are just not prepared for that <clears throat> for that shock, which is the whole point of training. But yeah, if you want, if you want, we can because like for example, maybe the Dutch test is uh, probably more of a. It's for for the science of it, just to see to see your hormones. It would be interesting. But there's another lab test we we actually run it pretty much on most clients. Is it's an organic acids test, so we can check for B vitamins and antioxidants and uh, candida and things like that. And actually, what you can actually tell on that test is if you have a B vitamin insufficiency or deficiency, it means your energy production basically pipeline, if you want to call it that. There's a there's some type of either buildup or, or or something is blocking the full cycle from going in. So, so I I know people clients that we test them and they're taking a multivitamin, a very high quality multivitamin that costs like sixty dollars a month or whatever, and they're still deficient in certain like let's say B2 riboflavin or whatever else. So adding those it can be very prudent in and around uh, race time. Peak, peak when you're peaking in the cycle, and then during the recovery, you might certain certain B vitamins you want you might even want to take three times a day to to keep to keep the level right, so you're not going into mitochondrial dysfunction and so on. So there's a lot of we can discuss it after if you're interested. I can I can give you kind of the full suite of tests we can run, bro. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I think it would be a really interesting experiment on myself. Um, you know, I generally get my normal blood panel done every year to make sure like everything's in order. But as far as a sports specific, you know, just to see what type of effect this has on my body, I think it would be it'd be a really cool thing to learn about myself. You know, especially because yeah. this is the first year where I feel like I've recovered pretty quickly from races. So I'll give mm -hmm. you an example. I did a I did a hundred K in April. And then like three days later, I was back to training like it. Whoa. But I'm curious. I'm curious what internally what was going on in my body three days later, like how much recovery should I have? You know, I did. I did 80 miles in, in July. And that one took me a little bit longer. And then we'll see what this 100 miler does in October. So what would be really awesome is if you have health insurance and it's very cheap, is if you get, I can give you acute phase reactant markers, I can give you a bunch of like, you know, all the, the most of them are fairly standard tests. So like homocysteine, uh, CRP, C-reactive protein, and then your liver enzymes, if you, if you can do it ideally before and after, but even after the race, 
you can actually see if, let's say, your liver enzymes are high. That means, you know, liver damage has been going on. If certain other things are, are high or low, we, it can kind of, it can, it can actually inform a, a recovery supplement protocol. For example, we know, we know that a lot of activity creates a lot of oxidative damage in mm-hmm. the body. In, fa- in fact, just yeah, yesterday or the day before, I was looking at a because stu- I'm uh, I started writing a new book, actually this week. So I was looking at a study that vitamin E ameliorates exercise-induced muscle damage. So there's we we we'll talk after, but there's there's a lot of there's a lot of little tweaks. And the other thing is, I've also seen research recently that. Um, Long, long uh, endurance athletes, they have um, basically a, a lot more dysbiosis or so leaky gut, as you know. That's why, you know, we, you, a lot of marathoners have the quote-unquote runner's diarrhea, as I was explaining earlier. The serotonin released by the chromaffin cells in the gut, that creates the sort of the peristaltic movements that get the, the gut emptied. That creates intestinal permeability and then any endo- endotoxins created by your bad bacteria not bad, but gram-negative bacteria, that can, what is known as translocation can happen. So it can get inside you. So that can cause immune reactivity and inflammation. So little strategies, like for example, what I would uh, think is a good a, a good way to counteract this is if you're going to be taking in a lot of uh, uh, mostly easily digestible carbohydrates during the race and stuff that's going to be getting what you call it, absorbed in the upper small intestine, you may want to actually, I, I mean, you you, could, you you always try these things in training, but taking uh, activated charcoal or zeolite can actually mop up a lot of these endotoxins. So instead of them getting into the, into the bloodstream, activating the immune system, you're getting them mopped up. Now that can slow, that can slow digestion down. So it can actually be a bit constipating, but if you're not going to be taking in solid food, that, that's something you worry about, the day after, the day after that, after the race or, or, you know, but you always experiment with these things. You never obviously do them the week of, of the race or at the race day, but there's a lot of little things like that, where if you look at the research, it's athletic pursuit is an unhealthy business. And most people that are not, they don't have a coach and a chef and a nutritionist and everything else. They are leaving a lot of they're leaving a lot on the table in terms of recovery and performance. So it will be fun to give you a few tips, bro, if you want. Yeah. And I'm, I'm always looking at, at learning and, and figuring out new things of like how I can do better and recover. Uh, one of the things that I'm doing, cause I had such a short turnaround between my last race and this one is, uh, my, I've drastically lowered my weekly mileage and I'm focusing mm-hmm. a lot more on, mobility training and a little bit of strength and just really trying to use different energy systems versus just that mm-hmm. oxidative system. Yeah. And I'm, I'm curious to see how this is going to pan out because I felt like I have a really good base of aerobic mileage built up. And I want to see like in this last six weeks before race day, how training up, uh, changing up my training is going to affect me on, on the day of. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Vitam- uh, I, I, I'll try to share that study with you. I know I have it somewhere in my notes. Vitamin E is so important because you, you look like a pretty lean guy, but <laughs> it, it's generally going to be a problem for folks that are less lean. But when you're running, when the cortisol, when you kind of deplete glycogen or the body starts to kind of raise cortisol in tandem, will always rise adrenaline sometime after. And adrenaline stimulates lipolysis, so breaking down or the release of fats from adipose tissue. And that circulate, those circulating fatty acids, uh, a lot of them are polyunsaturated, so they can actually damage endothelial cells of you know the blood vessels organs so uh, excessive lipolysis is associated with diabetes, obesity and a lot of disease states. So uh, Hard exercise, if you if you take vitamin E and other antioxidants, can actually be quite protective, and that actually can add. This is where I think a lot of these, even amateur athletes, but even like semi professionals, they're leaving a lot on the table in terms of 
the longevity of their sport. So I, I was talking to my Pilates instructor. Her um, son-in-law is like 33 and he's a professional handball player. So she's like, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get him to, to um, you know, become a client of yours. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, because like he's already thinking about retiring soon. And I'm like, you kidding me? Like 33? Like you, you, there's, dude, you're running, you're running 80 miles. You're, you're, you know, you're older than him. You know what I mean? There's no excuse. If, if you've got the, the right people doing the research for you, there's no excuse that you should be retiring at 33, 35, or even 38 for that matter, If depending on the sport now, of course. Yeah, because we know that we lose, you know, muscle mass. Like, you know, we kind of peak out around 29, 30 or so when it comes to athletic performance. Um, but I think – when it comes to like endurance training, we can actually hold that. We can hold the line on that a little bit longer because of just of how we're built as humans. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I feel like I'm just coming into my own in this sport and, you know, I'm really trying to learn as much as I can. And I was just talking with a, a strength and conditioning friend of mine uh, this weekend. And we were, you know, he was asking about ultra running. He was very curious because he's a professional power lifter you know, he trains nice. power lifters and, uh, he was like, well, tell me about your nutrition during the race. And like, and I'm like, that's just an art in itself to learn yeah. like through trial and error. Like how do I eat and how do I fuel properly for 20, 24, 30 hours, uh, to make sure that like my body's still performing, you know, the best it can given the stress load. Yeah, bro. One of my favorite podcasts uh the the guy that runs it he's um a bike racer and they, they do a lot of work with endurance racers so I, I used to listen to that podcast so much and just listening to them uh talk about new, uh, uh fueling during the performance is like you said it's a it's a science it's an art and it seems like it's a never it, it's a never changing thing as your physiology and, and the way you adapt to, to to the to the training stresses that can actually change and it, it, your physiology changes like i think they, they've done um i forgot what sport it was but in certain sports the i think it was in the thigh muscle there's more adipose tissue in the muscle so there's more fat in the muscle because it's an adaptation where the, the fats are there because they, they will be you know burned for fuel during the the activity, so and you don't see that in like in in a in a, un, a detrained or untrained individual. So um, it's quite a it's quite an amazing thing. I can see why people get addicted to it because you're not only are you tinkering with 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 art with science, but you were like you were the sculpture is the art the piece of art is you and your performance. And I think we're all. So most of us are quite, we love ourselves. We're infatuated with ourselves. And I mean, in a healthy way, and we want to be the best we can be the uh, performance wise, you know, in, in our, in mental, spiritual, physical endeavors. So it's, I can see why like people are into it and they want to, and that's why I love to, I always love to kind of see any way I can help to in, increase that performance or the longevity of that performance. That would be, that would be fun to work on. Yeah, I mean, it's a sport that I enjoy. It, there's a curiosity there that just keeps driving me to like, what else can I do? Like, you know, I was just talking with my wife this morning about this. Like, I don't want to have any regrets of like how, I don't want to leave anything on the table of like, what could I have accomplished in this life? Like, yeah. whether it be physical fitness or, a, or business or whatever it is, like, I just want to keep pushing limits to see like, where where's that limit where's that boundary and, I, and i'm hoping that i just keep pushing and pushing and never find it and that's kind of the goal yeah yeah i'm starting to think is there any chance your your um star sign is aries no it's a gemini oh okay because usually i'm because i'm aries a, a lot of people i meet i'm like dude are you an aries you, you sound pretty ambitious and usually i'm right you know if, if i'm thinking that that's awesome bro well Maybe listen the other half of you me... is the one that wants to sit on the couch all day <laughs> <laughs> but you see that i think that's another thing that you're you're doing in a healthy way is you're it sounded like you're doing a lot of the mobility the recovery and the other stuff the 
the more concentric like swimming stuff like that that's concentric but there's there's not none of that sort of damaging eccentric uh, uh part of the motion which can be very which really the most damaging part of the sport really is the is the eccentric whether that's running or or weightlifting whatever whatever we do so it's good that you have a balanced approach to it and you understand all the it's it's like what you were talking earlier you know you were talking about social resilience physical resilience resilience of the mind so it's i like that balanced approach i think that those are those are really leadership qualities so i'm i'm glad you're doing the work you're doing and you're spreading your influence because you know we need guys like you to shape the men of our society so for the many reasons that we covered kind of in the first half of today's episode yeah, I mean, that's just trying to be a good human uh, for for myself and for society. I, you know, I heard this a long time ago and it just kind of stuck with me that said, like, you you have to be a good individual before you can be a good teammate. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I kind of took that to heart. Like, if I don't work on myself and work on getting better as a person every day, then, like, I'm not going to be able to help anybody else. So, you know, it's kind of like the whole thing with the airplane mask. You you know, they tell you to put the mask on yeah. yourself before you help everybody else. Well, if if I'm not doing the things that I need to do to be happy, healthy, and successful, then I'm not going to be able to help the, the others that need my help. But if I'm doing all the things that I'm capable of, and then, then I can start lending a hand to those that, like, maybe need a little assistance. And that's kind of that's like true. my philosophy on how I've, I'm going forward with my life right now. Love it, bro. Love it. One couple more questions now. So for the my solution stock question, Adam, what are you doing that others can do also to increase their freedom, self-reliance, autonomy, and or resilience to the challenges that we face this decade and beyond? It's doing the little things. Waking up and doing the difficult things that might be a little more challenging. Um, I mean, I always start my morning off with something that can be challenging, whether it be an ice bath or a workout or just expressing gratitude, I mean, which doesn't seem like that difficult of a thing to do. But remembering to do it every day um, can be a challenge. And all those little things and those little skills that you acquire over years and years and years of doing them um, are going to forge you into the person that you know you have a potential to be. So really paying attention to all the details of how you do things. And I heard this a while ago too, and it's made a lot of sense to me. How you do anything is how you do everything. Mm. So, you know, yeah. what, what that means, like if, if I do things in an efficient manner, that's kind of like my personality. Well, I do everything in an efficient manner. And the con to that is sometimes I leave out some details because I'm efficient. Now I have a business partner uh, that does things very detailed, but he's not efficient. So there's always a pro and a con to the way that you do things. Mm -hmm. So like understanding what your strengths are and like pushing yourself in a direction to just get better and do the little things, I think is going to help help people like get to their goals and and build that resilience they're looking for. Beautiful answer, bro. Thank you so much. And last last thing, uh, how can folks connect with you? Uh, you can get me on Instagram. So it's Soulful, S-O-L-E-F-U-L. I paid homage to my running background, uh, underscore training. Um, you can also reach me at soulfultraining at gmail.com. Nice. I offer free consultations for one-on-one individuals. I have a, a signature 12-week program to build resilience using my four pillars. Um, but I generally work with like um, organizations, corporations, uh, groups like first responder, uh, you know, like police, fire departments, things like that, where I have and I have programs built out to come into your organization and build organizational resilience. Um, that's really the direction that I'm taking my company. Uh, but for a few select individuals, uh, I will work one-on-one. I also have resources that if you were not a right fit, so let's say, I, for example, like I don't do weight loss. 
if you want mm-hmm. to come to me for weight loss, I'll refer you out because that's not what my program is about. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sounds awesome. Bro. I do also have a website. It's www.soulfultraining.com. Um, so you can, there's a space in there to contact me and set up your consultation. Sweet. We're going to have those links. Appreciate your time, Adam. Thank you so much for being on the, on the show today, bro. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It was a, uh, it's really a pleasure to be here.